from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture lesson comes from the book of Psalm, Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10. It can be found on page 475 in the Old Testament of our Pew Bibles. Let us listen now for God's word to us today. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast, love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 25, the psalmist calls out for God to show him the way and to teach him. And the lectionary has paired that psalm with a teaching of Jesus. Our New Testament lesson is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, found on page 67 in the New Testament of your Pew Bibles. Hear again God's word. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him 
And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let us pray. God, through old stories, speak to us new words. Remind us again of your call for us and prepare us to go and do as you have taught. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The parable I read a few minutes ago from Luke's Gospel is probably one of the most familiar narratives in the Bible. I don't have a statistic or a source for that, but given how prevalent the phrase Good Samaritan is in our world, this is a story a lot of people know. All 50 United States have some form of a law called a Good Samaritan Law that protects people who seek to help from liability if the helping goes to bad places. Hospitals are named after the Samaritan and charities. And when someone does a kindness as a way of shorthand, what do we call that person? A good Samaritan. On one hand, that's wonderful. That that has become such a part of our vocabulary because we always need a reminder that we're commanded to care for those in need. But on the other, the fact that we're so familiar with this story also means that we risk reducing it to a trite moral or missing the complexity of what it is that Jesus is calling us to go and do. The parable is about what we do. Jesus gives us the example of the Samaritan who helped the poor soul left for dead in the ditch. But if we think it's just teaching us to be nice or to do the kinds of things that we might call random acts of kindness, we miss its deeper lesson. And that is that it calls us to reach across all the barriers that divide us so that we can become neighbors. The lawyer in the story who's questioning Jesus already knows that he's supposed to love his neighbor. From the very beginning of this scene, he's asking questions he can already answer. So he starts off and asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus essentially says to him, answer your own question. You've studied the law. What do you read there? And on cue, the lawyer recites the commandment that defined the faith life of the Hebrew people from Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And he adds to it part of Leviticus 19, 8, 18, which says in its whole, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the right answer, says Jesus. Do that and you will live. But the lawyer doesn't stop there. 
The text tells us that he wanted to justify himself. Now that word justify is tricky, so this text is often read as if the lawyer is an adversary, or as, as if he's sort of the villain of the scene. Now for personal reasons, I don't like that read of this story, but it does seem that the lawyer's still testing Jesus. Maybe he's trying to show off his knowledge to impress Jesus, or maybe he's just trying to get clear about exactly how much he has to do to check the box on this neighbor thing. Lawyers do really love clarity in their words. But he says back to Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, to whom must I really show love? Who do I really have to get close to? The lawyer already knows that love of God and love of neighbor are inseparable and that that is what God requires of him. And yet, even though he knows the right answer, so to speak, the lawyer still needs Jesus to show him who his neighbor is. As I thought about this familiar story all week, I thought how similar we are to that lawyer. We already know that the law of God and the teachings of Jesus tell us to love God and neighbor. We could recite those same verses, and we're used to the phrase Good Samaritan in all parts of our lives as a sort of synonym for a do-gooder. We might even think we don't need to keep reading this parable because we already know the moral of the story. But like that lawyer, we have to hear this again as if for the first time to be surprised and challenged by the relationship Jesus is putting before us here as we're called to the activity of being a neighbor. If we're thinking about the word neighbor, we usually think about people who live near us. As I said last night to my kids that this was the text, they rattled off our neighbors, the people in the house on either side and across the street and in a little block of our neighborhood. If I said to you this morning, turn and say hello to your neighbor, you would go to the person seated closest to you. For good reason, that idea of proximity is an old one. The Greek word that's translated here as neighbor is from the root that means near. So a neighbor is one who is near. Proximity defined neighborness. And if Jesus had left that definition alone, we would be responsible for showing love to the people who happen to be near us. We may have chosen where to sit this morning, or it may be a force of habit, but other people chose where they would sit. We may have chosen where to live, but other people chose that they would live in our same area. So that definition of neighbor is coincidence. We're passive in it. We're neighbors because for one reason or another, we've ended up being physically close to each other. And according to that definition of neighbor, it was probably pretty easy for the priest and the Levite in the parable to pass by the injured man. In fact, they could stay on the right side of the law and also avoid a very messy and inconvenient situation with a bloody stranger because they weren't close to him. They didn't see that man as a neighbor. 
they passed by on the other side of the road and kept their distance. But the Samaritan, according to Jesus, drew near to the injured man. And with that act, the Samaritan redefines neighbor. Instead of neighborness being a passive circumstance, just that person happens to be near me, the Samaritan made the choice to get close. He created proximity and created the relationship of neighbor. He flipped it from passive to active. It's a choice we're all being called to make too, not only to do something merciful, but to take action, to put ourselves close to those who need compassion. And here's where this old story calls us to something a lot harder than a sort of one-off act of thoughtfulness. Being a neighbor means getting closer even if, and maybe especially if, we have to cross barriers. Social, religious, national, political, racial, all the barriers. We're called to mercy even with those who are far off, those who are different, those with whom we disagree, even those we just don't like. That is the example of the Samaritan. Now for the hearers of this story in the first century, it would have been a shock that the Samaritan was the neighbor. We're used to the idea of good and Samaritan going together as a phrase, the good Samaritan, but an act of compassion would have been the last thing the lawyer talking with Jesus expected from a Samaritan. Samaritans practiced a form of Judaism that was considered to be heresy. They were unclean in the first century. They were ostracized and ridiculed and frankly not expected to amount to anything. So if the priest and the Levite were insiders, they were inside the community of temple worship, the Samaritan could not have been farther from being an insider. Not only was he someone the priest and Levite wouldn't have thought of as a neighbor, he was from a social and religious group they were actively excluding and rejecting. So when the lawyer hears Jesus tell this story, he would have been shocked by this plot twist. When Jesus says, which of these three, meaning the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan was the neighbor, the Samaritan is the last person the lawyer would have thought. In fact, he probably wouldn't have thought a Samaritan could even do merciful and compassionate things. He would not have expected the Samaritan to be the example of fulfilling God's law. He wouldn't have thought that was his neighbor and he certainly would not have thought that he had something to learn about mercy from the likes of a Samaritan. In fact, this parable is not actually called the parable of the good Samaritan. You notice that the word good is not actually in there. It's not in the Bible. Jesus doesn't label the man or give this story a title in any way. The label good Samaritan came from the need to communicate to an early audience that would have hated Samaritans that this was a story about a good one. We don't necessarily catch that context today. 
If we read it, we probably picture a group of people who are more or less from the same social standing, the same group. One of them gets hurt, two pass by and don't do the thing they obviously should have done, one stops and does the right thing. And it's easy for us to miss the fact that the people in this story are in different social, political, and religious groups, and they did not like or respect or accept each other. Without more context, it's also easy to miss just how hard the thing is that the Samaritan does. Not only did he cross all those barriers to get close to this injured man, he put himself at huge risk. The road that's described in this parable from Jerusalem to Jericho was called the Red or the Bloody Way because it was such a dangerous place of travel. There were places along it, some of you may have seen it in person, places along it where bandits could hide and ambush travelers and just as happens in this parable, beat them and rob them and leave them. So not only is this Samaritan helping someone who likely would have despised him, he's putting himself in a very vulnerable position when he helps. He didn't know whether there were still robbers around. He didn't know if he might be attacked while he was cleaning this man's wounds. And surely he would have been an easy target with a half-dead soul on his donkey, slowly making his way to an inn. And then once he's there, he again acts in self-sacrifice that we might read right over today. He pays the innkeeper the money he has and then comes back with more, several days' wages, to pay for the care of a stranger. I was in a conversation this week with someone who's not part of this church, and he's organizing an event he wanted to tell me about, and he says it's a challenge to get people to do good. And I asked what it is, and it's a sort of scavenger hunt where people are supposed to check off as many good deeds as they can. And I said, okay, like what? What are the things on the hunt? And he said, pick up 10 pieces of litter and pay for the coffee of the person behind you at Starbucks. Okay. I was struck by that conversation. Not because we shouldn't all be picking up litter, we should. Not because it isn't lovely to pay for a stranger's coffee, that's very thoughtful and kind. But I was hearing that conversation through the light of the command of this parable. The parable is a story about a person from an outcast group who puts his own life and livelihood on the line to get close to someone who might have hated him and choosing to care for that person anyway. So being a good Samaritan, if we use that term, is not a quick act and done. It is not a check off and finished. It is not arm's length. It is getting close enough to become neighbors, even if it means crossing barriers, even if it means sacrificing our own comfort. Like any story, any good story, this one invites us in, and I bet when we read it, whether we mean to or not, we envision ourselves in one of the characters' roles. I bet we mostly cast ourselves as the Samaritan, 
and think about all the times we have done something kind or how we can help someone in need. We probably don't often think about the fact that the Samaritan was hated by the people who heard this parable, and we don't necessarily think about the great personal risk and sacrifice he made to care for someone, even when it wasn't convenient and they wouldn't love him. Or maybe this morning, we see ourselves in the role of the priest or the Levite, and we know the law, we know what's expected, but for different reasons, we're holding on to why we don't have to cross the road to the beaten man. Maybe we can even see someone in our lives or in the news who needs our compassion there across the metaphorical road, but it would be very messy to get involved, so we don't. Or maybe this morning we see ourselves in the lawyer trying to justify what we know, but really still needing instruction about what we're supposed to do to be a neighbor. Maybe we're needing to ask ourselves, who are the Samaritans for us today? Who do we reject? Who do we despise? If we think about the groups in our world, our community, who's the last person we would expect to hear Jesus call our neighbor? Who do we think is not capable of kindness and mercy? Who do we think we could never need to learn from? Maybe this morning we're the man in the ditch, hoping that someone will cross those barriers to show us love. Maybe we are learning something of God's wide mercy by being cared for by someone we have avoided or feared. Our world is in a season, or at least I pray that it's just a season, where divisions are growing and being reinforced rather than being broken down. Our country and others in the world are in bitter fights about who may come here, who may live here, what duty we owe to the alien and the stranger. I know some of you have seen more and lived longer, but in my lifetime, I don't remember a time when our nation was more deeply divided along lines of nationality and race and social status and political party. Ooh, the political parties have taken hold. All barriers that existed when that Samaritan crossed that road. And we are prone to retreat into the groups where we're comfortable to stay close to the people who speak our same language and think like us and vote like us and live where we live. It would be easy to think that those are our neighbors, that group inside our circle, and to think anyone else is not our responsibility. We might even be taking steps to keep outsiders out of our country and neighborhoods and schools and churches. So this week, I've been asking myself, who is crying out to me for mercy? Who is across the road? Who am I not getting close to because it would be too complicated or too messy or it would require me to take a stand that someone else might not like? What neighbor 
am I not seeing because I don't agree with them or like them or think I have anything to learn from them? This parable calls us to be honest with ourselves about who the Samaritans are for us, not the do-gooders in our midst, but the people we reject and fear and avoid, those whose kindness would surprise us and convict us. Those people remind us of this command to choose to be neighbors and show each other mercy. After this teaching from Jesus, being a neighbor is no longer just a passive coincidence. It's not just something that happens to us. It's not just for people who live close or the people we already know. Jesus has redefined it. The man in the ditch was a neighbor. The Samaritan was a neighbor. Jesus is calling us, especially in this polarized, intense time, to get close, to cross the road, to break through the barriers, social or political or assumptions or fears. I'll let you all name in your own hearts what binds you today. To break through those barriers, to make ourselves into neighbors so that we can give and receive mercy in the name of the one whose mercy to us never ends. Amen.